Joe Pags Show. To talk to Joe, call 888-941-PAGS. And now, it's Joe Pags. Great to have you here. Thanks a lot for stopping by. Lots going on, lots to get to. We've got updates on what's happening in uh, Uvalde. We have that for you. Also, will that NRA convention happen this weekend? Sam, is it this weekend? Is it Friday? Is it Saturday? Is it the whole weekend? It is this weekend. Let me check which days. Okay, well, I, I, I'll read the entire story from um, um, the mayor there who has actually chimed in and said whether he would consider canceling it. We'll have that for you coming up. Of course, the left is attacking people like Ted Cruz and, and Donald Trump and others for planning to go to the NRA convention. How they've somehow vilified the NRA is, is crazy to me. We'll talk about that as well. We've got other stuff to get to. Bottom of the hour will be Dr. Katie Kuhlman, and she talks about the psychology of some nut job who does this talks about police officers having to go into a scene like this, talks about how a community can heal after a situation like this. It's a very important interview. Make sure you stick around for that on a Thursday. And as, Again, as I said, I think that a lot of healing comes through music. If you listen to the words of this song, it's not just that we're feeling all right, it's also not feeling too good myself. Seems I got to have a the Thursday. Polo's here Every getting it done. Appreciate him. Sam also making it happen. Also made her premiere on the Hannity Show today. Good job, Sam. By the way, people in the chat room say we need we need puppies tonight. Just to let you know. We'll have to see if we can get some puppies on the puppy cam. If you want to watch what we're doing, you go to JoePags.com. Click on Watch Now. And that's how you do that. Let's go. immediately you saw people like David Hogg, who is uh, one of the survivors from Parkland, who's been on the radical left since he uh, was in school. He said that people like the NRA have blood in their hands, uh, which is, of course, not true, um, that the NRA somehow pushes um, for killing children, which is not true. Um, I've never understood that argument. I don't know why it works. Um, I'm a me- an NRA member. Grover Norquist, who we have on this show often, the tax guy, um, ATF.org, I believe it is, Americans for Tax Reform, ATR.org. Um, he's on the board of directors on the NRA. So is Ted Nugent, who we have on this show all the time, the Motor City Madman. The NRA, if you go back through the annals of history, worked to make sure that black Americans had access to, to the Second Amendment. The Democrats in the day in this country did not want other than like white men, to have access to, um, to guns, to the Second Amendment. They didn't want it to apply to either former slaves or black people that were not born in slavery. And that's just the truth. Look it up. Oh, but they did a big switch. There was no big switch of parties. That never happened. That is another fable. But why in modern United States of America we're able to somehow push this, this fake narrative that the NRA somehow is making people kill people? I don't think, and I'm pretty sure about this, that any of these mass murderers have been in the NRA. Well, it's the gun lobby. They're pushing guns. The NRA doesn't sell guns. 
The NRA doesn't sell ammunition. The NRA does not, is not in the gun business. They're in the business of making sure the Second Amendment is available to everybody in this country. The Second Amendment is pretty simple. A well-formed militia, that, that's been ruled in the Supreme Court as meaning the citizenry of this country, has the right to keep and bear arms. It shall not be infringed. That means the government can't infringe your right to keep and bear arms. But for so long now, good people have been giving in to these local ordinances, these state laws that do infringe, and only bad guys have the guns. And then the attack is on the NRA. I, I don't understand why there's this confusion that the NRA somehow is promoting school shootings. It's not. And by the way, let, let me say this. My daughter CJ just sent me this, and, and, and I appreciate her doing it. You've got a bunch of these copycats out there today who are idiot school children. When I was on television in the television news, we used to get like bomb threats called into us in a certain school district. We would never, ever, ever, never, never air the bomb threat on the television news. Sam, any idea why we didn't do that? To avoid copycats? To avoid copycats and to also not scare people who are watching and listening because we could tell that this was somebody who was trying to get a day off of school. They wanted a long weekend. It was some kid on the phone. Now, having said that, we took it seriously. We called the police. The police investigated. They found out whether it was a real threat or not. But we would not go online with the threat. We would not go on the air with the threat because it would cause the school to shut down and it would cause fear. That's what the goal was. Now, in this day and age, of course, you have to take a threat seriously. And as I said, we would call police as a news agency and the police would follow through and they would catch up with the person, question them, and scare the hell out of them. Well, now we've got these things popping up where I know that there was some sort of a scare in El Paso today. I know that there was some sort of a scare in Seguin today. Some sort of, and these are cities in Texas for those who are outside of the state. You know, these scares um, aren't okay. I know that in the school district where my kids go, there were extra police on campus to make sure people were safe. And that should happen. I understand putting extra police. But parents know what your kids are doing. Some of them are sending in these horrible anonymous threats that are just disgusting. Because as I said on Sean's show earlier, and I'll say it again here, I don't know that people are living in the correct reality. Some people have a reality that is based on what's on their, their tablet, their phone, their computer, the internet, what game they're playing, and their brains are being rewired by this. I keep saying, I say this to my family, I say this to you in the public, I say it to, to those that I, that, that I know offline. We have to make sure we understand that a child's mind is easily molded and rewired to believe that what they're seeing is reality, even if it's not. And that would now desensitize the person to what is in reality. Calling it a bomb threat's a serious thing. They don't think it's serious because their reality is altered. You know, saying I'm going to shoot up the school is, is a very dangerous, horrible thing. Many people who say it don't mean it, but they should all be investigated because eventually some idiot does do it. So again, parents, there are some kids out there, maybe not yours, but check their phones. Talk to them about what happened in Uvalde. I don't care if you're in Oregon or Florida or Maine or California. Doesn't matter. Talk to your kids about what happened in Uvalde. Do it. Paul, I'm going to ask for some clarification. I, I say Uvalde. Some say Uvalde. What do you say? Uh, I mean, I would probably say Uvalde, but, but it, I mean, I've heard a lot of people say Uvalde. Yeah. It's also like with salsa. Some people say salsa. 
So, I mean, I, I guess you can decide it in a, in, in a different way, but um, I think I think what I'm saying is appropriate. It's not very far from where we sit. I'm going to stay with Uvalde, which is sort of in between the two, to be honest with you. But talk to them about what happened in this small community, 15,000, 16,000 population. Talk to them about what happened there and tell them how horrible and heinous it would be to scare other communities with similar threats. Tell them how ridiculous it is. I'm getting stories sent to me nonstop about people doing this. It's not funny. It's not cute. And we have to understand we're dealing with immature minds here. And again, we're living in a day and age where this generation from the age of one is being handed a phone. We have to know what it is they're seeing and we have to make a delineation. Hey, son, daughter, that's not real life. In real life, when you die in the video game, you can come back. You can't in real life. When you call in a threat and it's, and it's a joke on some TV sitcom, it's not a joke in real life. And we can make them adjust to what is reality, but I think a lot of times that we're just disconnected and we don't do that. Sylvester Turner is the mayor of Houston, Texas. We're on in Houston. We love being on KSEV, 700 a.m. in Houston. And he was asked if he would pull the NRA convention out of his city. And the Houston Chronicle reports, and here's the headline from Nora Mishanek. Mishanek, I'm not sure. Turner won't bow to pressure on NRA like he did with GOP, but he'll join convention protests outside. Under pressure to cancel the National Rifle Association's convention this weekend in Houston, Mayor Sylvester Turner said Thursday he will likely join protests against the gun group following a school massacre in Uvalde. Protests are being set for Friday, or set to begin Friday morning at Discovery Green, across from the George R. Brown Convention Center, where the NRA convention will be held. Multiple civic and social justice groups have said they will be mobilizing. That doesn't mean they're mobilizing. Why are we using the word mobilizing? No, they're going to go in, they're going to protest. They're going to make noise. That's not mobilizing. They'll act like it's a good thing. There's a strong possibility I will be out there as well, Turner said Thursday morning, this morning. It was not the outcome protesters were hoping for in the wake of the deadliest school shooting in Texas history that killed 19 children and two teachers. The mayor has previously shown a willingness to respond to public pressure as as when he canceled the Texas Republican Party's in-person state convention in 2020, which he never should have done. That was ridiculous. But he played politics and blamed it on COVID. Turner at the time blamed the cancellation on health dangers during the COVID-19 pandemic after initially insisting that he was unable to cancel it. In that instance, Houston First, the public nonprofit that operates the city-owned convention center, sent a letter to the party's executive committee notifying it that the convention had been canceled. The letter triggered uh, a part of the contract called for force majeure clause, which allowed one side to cancel for an occurrence out of its control. The definition included epidemics in the city of Houston, according to the Houston First letter. Quote, no one wanted to step in and be the heavy and say no and then run the risk of being accused of being political, Turner said at the time. But if after all that, you still refuse to, rec- to recognize a public health danger to everyone involved, then I am still the mayor. Yeah, he did that for politics. He did that for political reasons. Um, because if you're in the GOP in Texas and you want to go there and convene and you want to hang out with other people and you want to put your life at risk or, or take your chances with COVID, that should be up to you as a free liberated American. That was a political move and he knows it. But now he's not going to, uh, to step in and cancel the NRA convention, which he shouldn't. And if, he, and if he tried to, there is no clause like that one that was used. And he'd be losing a lot of money for the city of Houston. But he might protest with the people outside. Here's a black man in America, Sylvester Turner, who is going to protest against the group that ensured black Americans had their Second Amendment rights. That's how stupid it is. But he doesn't think that you know that. He doesn't think you know that. Well, I'm going to make sure I tell you. 
your thoughts on what, ha- what happened in Uvalde, how you would fix it, what steps we should take right now, what you know about H.R. 8 that's being lied about, and the mayor of Houston not going to stop the NRA convention, but he might go ahead and protest. 888-941-PAGS, JoePags.com. Dr. Katie Kuhlman at the bottom. Stay right here. This is the Joe Pegg Show. Hey, glad to have you. Thanks a lot for stopping by. It's the Joe Pegg Show. 888-941-PAGS. 888-941-7247 joepags.com make sure you go to the website and sign up for all the social media or the ones that you use the most i get it i'm on like 18 different sites i understand but if there's one that you like um go there and find me it's going to be a verified account unless it's tiktok it'll be verified it's either at joe pags or at joe talk show if it's one of those and not verified it's not me unless of course again it's on tiktok i don't know how to get verified on tiktok um it gets tiresome to see the congress always talking about let's change the debt ceiling Let's move the money around. Let's print some more money. Let's send some more money over here. You can't do that in your own personal life with your own personal finances. You can't overdraw your checking account. That's going to be a problem. So if you're over your head and on this treadmill on credit cards, signature loans, internet loans, timeshares, get off that treadmill right now. Get some total financial freedom. If you owe more than $10,000, the team of Total Financial Freedom has been doing a great job for 15 plus years helping people like you resolve their debts and cut payments in half. Check them out by giving them a call. Ask them any question you've got. Make sure that what I'm telling you is true. 800-833-9444. 800-833-9444. Call now. Ask about the free book, Debt Dietitian. You get it by mentioning my name, Joe Pags. Get the free book when you call and learn how easy it is to cut your payments. You're going to appreciate their team. They're like-minded people with you, and they've got an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau with zero complaints. Call Total Financial right now, 800-833-9444. That's 800-833-9444. 9444. Make it happen right now. We go to the phone lines. I appreciate you taking the time. It is going to be line one, and Bob is in Minnesota. Bob, what's going on? Hi. Hi, Joel. Thanks for having me um, on your show. I just wanted to make a uh, quick comparison or analogy, whatever you want to call go it. Ahead. I served my God and my, my community for over 21 years in law enforcement, and uh, on average in our country, 29 people die at the hands of or as a result of drunk drivers, but yet there's not this outrage over the, over, you know, pointing towards the alcohol industry. Like there is pointing towards the NRA for this uh, horrible tragedy down in Texas. Right. And I just find that a little bit, a little bit hypocritical of, of the left, not to, uh, not to care, so to speak about 29 people on average a day dying um, at the hands of drunk drivers. Well, it's actually and, not a good uh, comparison. I'll tell you why, Bob, because the NRA doesn't make guns and alcohol companies do make the alcohol. So it's not even a direct comparison. I get where you're coming from because they're attacking the NRA who had nothing to do with somebody shooting somebody. And I don't think that alcohol companies had anything to do with anybody driving drunk. These are, if I'm getting what you're laying down, these are because the people are doing it. It's not the, it's not the tool. You're, you're picking up what I'm laying down, Joe. Good. Perfect. Perfect, Bob. I appreciate you, man. Thank you for your service in the law enforcement industry. Let me go back at it and say hello and welcome to uh, Mike. What's happening in, in Rhode Island? Hi, Mike. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. You bet. Joe, um, 
you know, I wanted to tell you, you know, you, you mentioned about talking with children about this, this horrible incident. And, and I, I got a 15 year old at home. We're a conservative family. And, you know, we chat about everything every day. Um, we have great dinner conversation and there's no topic, all, you know, off the table. And, and, you know, with this incident, um, you know, he, he's, he keeps coming to me and he's, he's questioning his beliefs. He's questioning things. He, you know, his hero, LeBron James, he's such a big LeBron James fan. And he sees, you know, some of the things that these guys and these celebrities tweet out and, you know, and he forwarded, forwards them over to me and he, and he's leaning towards gun control now. And, and we have an open discussion and, and, you know, we talk about the good and bad of, of, of all sides of a perspective. And it, you know, it's just amazing to see right now the influence that celebrities, Jimmy Kimball, uh, um, uh, LeBron James are having on, on the youth, on their minds, you know, and, and I just wanted to point that out and get your, get your opinion about, um, you know, maybe how to, how to discuss this, how to talk this through. I mean, we do a good job of it and I'm very yeah. proud of him. He's well-spoken and he likes to argue, likes to talk about topics. Well, what's interesting uh, is what's going on out there. Well, I mean, well, it's very difficult. Mike, I hear you. And the problem is, um, LeBron James sounds like he's making sense. Jimmy Kimmel sounds like he's making sense. Steve Kerr sounds like he's making sense. What they're saying, if you take away the full knowledge of the situation, hey, man, less guns, less death. I mean, that, that makes sense. What you have to say to your son, and I'm sure that you're probably going down this line, but I have, I have no problem as a father myself of telling you what I would say to my daughters. What they're saying sounds like it makes sense, but they're incorrect. We have to have people, because we've got a country that's got 400 million guns in it, we have to have good people, and most of the people who own guns are good, we have to have them there to stop the bad people. Because we've seen throughout history, when the ability to defend yourself is taken away, the bad people do even more bad things. I mean, I think that you have to go there. And maybe remind your son that, that Jimmy Kimmel, LeBron James, Steve Kerr, and fill-in-the-blank other celebrity or sports star are, are protected every single day by good people who have guns. If taking away guns made us safer, why would they need to have them surrounding them? I think that's probably a good angle, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate what you do. Thanks, Carry Mike. on, sir. Appreciate you, man. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate you. He sounds like a really good dad. And it's a great question. Let me go back at it. Raphael, what's happening? Hi. How you doing? Living hey, the dream. Good afternoon to you and your staff. Hi. Hey, um, the only thing that's bothering me is I, I know that people are going through their background checks and performing all that, and I know the laws they're trying to pass, but there's one thing that, that's common with all these shooters is they're red flagging themselves. Nobody has to. They're on social media yes. in Parkland, in, in Buffalo, in Texas. They're all doing it ahead of time. Yes. Why, does it, why is social media never blamed? I have no idea. It's a great question. Raphael, it's a great question. Not only should social media be blamed, the FBI should be blamed, who had several contacts with the piece of garbage in Parkland, Florida, and did nothing to stop what ended up happening. You know, And again, they were aware of this guy, well, they should have been aware of this guy in, in Uvalde. Why didn't they do something? There's not a good answer. But immediately we need to react, especially the left does, that the gun somehow jumped up and did it on its own. We have to be aware of the psychotics that are out there. We have to be aware of them and get them away from the public and in a safe place where they can't harm themselves. It turns out there's a report today that this guy's friend in Uvalde, that his friend said, that well, this guy cut his face up with knives before. So we're not surprised that he was nuts. I mean, how do they know that? But authorities don't know that. His mother didn't know that. His grandmother didn't know that. That's crazy. 
So you're right. It should be reported. Social media, they can stop me from posting about COVID. They can't stop somebody from posting and go shoot up the elementary school. Come on. 888-941-PAGS, JoePags.com. Stay here. This is the Joe Pags Show. Great to have you. Thanks a lot for taking the time. Really glad to have you along for the ride. We love having got Dr. Katie Kuhlman on, but but you're, usually it's not for something so dramatic and something that has really taken the nation over. In fact, Katie, um, I was on BBC Radio, so even the UK is interested in what's going on in um, in Uvalde, Texas, which is not very far from where I am. First and foremost, thank you for coming on tonight. How are you? I'm I'm well, given the circumstances. It is sad. We normally have so much fun on your show, and yeah. so it's it's unfortunate that it's under such sad circumstances today. And when something like this happens, you know, I, I think of you, first of all, because, again, I told you this from the first time we've ever spoken, that you've got this mannerism that really does, A, calm us down, let's think through this, let's talk about what might be at play, and then you always offer solutions. I think there are three different angles here, and, and tell me if you disagree. Again, you're the doctor. She's a clinical psychologist, by the way, drkuhlman.com. Go and check her out. Uh, number one, what makes somebody do this? Number two, um, how do you heal from this after such a tragedy uh, happens? And number three, you deal with first responders, and it was a police officer that killed this guy in Uvalde and stopped him. So let's start with one. Um, is there always a trail? Because now we see there was that this guy had some serious issues that nobody really responded to. Can we always identify this before it happens, Katie? Is that your experience or not? Well, you know, here's the thing, right? Hindsight is always twenty twenty, yeah. And so in, in literally every mass shooting, you know, the only one really where there's, there's a big exception where it was difficult to figure out what the motive was, was the, the Las Vegas yes. shooting. Um, but there's, but there's always a trail. There is always what we call leakage and there's red flags and there's warning signs. Um, and then always, you know, after the fact, after there's a shooting, we start to hear from the neighbors and the teachers and the people at school. And they're saying, hey, yeah, he was kind of a weird kid. Yeah, he was bullied. Oh, hey, yeah, he made threats on Facebook. Yeah. Um, and then we ask the same question over and over again. Well, why didn't anybody do anything about it when we when people were concerned? And, I, you know, I have some ideas about that. I, I think that, number one, as a culture, we really we're in this place where we're scared to say anything. We don't want to ever, you know, be, be disrespectful. We don't want to offend anybody. We want to make sure that we're politically correct. Um, if somebody acts a little bit off or they're having tantrums or outbursts, we're just like, oh, well, you know, they're having a hard time at home. Right. Or it's a mental health issue. And we let bad behavior slide. Are we doing enough to identify mental health and are we giving enough treatment? Back in the day, uh, I think it was Reagan's time, we we emptied out the asylums. I think the ACLU and other people went after um, having these institutions by saying it's unfair, it violates civil rights. But now we've got people who legitimately need help from people like you and and others that are on the streets, maybe homeless in San Francisco, maybe doing a school shooting or maybe shooting up a grocery store. Are we doing enough for, for mental health issues in this country? Yes and no. Um, do the resources exist? Uh, yes, they do. But I don't think there's nearly uh, enough of them. And then the problem that we face is that um, really treatment has to be voluntary. And there's very few exceptions where you can force somebody into treatment. Um, you know, you can put somebody on a hold if they're a, a threat to harm yeah. themselves or others. But the thing is, is that even if they make a threat, the other person has to be it has to be a specific person or a specific place. 
So saying, I want to shoot up a school isn't specific enough to hold somebody um, on a mental health hold. And so then we get into this gray area of, you know, are we stepping on people's civil liberties um, or, you know, is, is getting the, or is it the right thing to do to force them into treatment? And that's a very delicate balance. Um, really what we would want to see is people, um, teachers, other students, parents being aware of some of the earliest signs that maybe there's something going on, um, especially if a, if a child, you know, says that they, you know, feel aggrieved in some way or they're blaming other people for those problems. Those are some, their own problems. Those are some big warning signs. Um, those are going to be the very initial indicators. And if you can kind of nip it in the bud right away, both on the mental health side, but also like on the disciplinary side and right. behavior modification side, um, then I think we have a good chance at mitigating some of these shootings. DrKuhlman.com, K-U-H-L-M-A-N.com. Go there and check out uh, Dr. Catherine Kuhlman. You'll see her on Newsmax. You'll see her on Fox News. She does a great job really explaining what it is that we're facing here. You mentioned the parents. Uh, This guy's mother was interviewed by the Daily Mail or somebody in the UK, and she said, my son wasn't a violent person. As she's sitting next to the bedside of her mother that he shot in the face, she's saying this. I mean, obviously, that's a case of denial, but also it's a case of she didn't see this coming. What are the signs that somebody like that should look for? Are there any? Well, and in this case, it's, I, I kind of questioned how well she knew her own son. It doesn't yeah. sound like she was very involved in his life in the first place. Um, and, I, and I think any parent's probably going to want to defend their child after something like this happens. And certainly they're not going to admit that they saw it coming. Right. Um, but it is really important for parents to, to be involved in their children's life. Um, one of the things that we see pretty consistently um, in people who engage in these mass attacks is that they don't have healthy relationships with a trusted adult. And that may be a parent. It could be a, a, a mom, a dad, a grandparent. It could also be somebody at their school. Um, but if, if a child has healthy relationships and a healthy attachment, has an adult in their life that they feel like they can rely on in times of adversity, um, that really serves as a good coping mechanism and is incredibly proactive for kids. Um, but one of the things that, a couple of the things really that, that parents specifically should be looking for in kids is um, really they should need to be keeping an eye on their kids virtual footprint Um, and it's difficult these days because kids are so more well-versed in the internet than any adult Um, I'm not the most tech savvy person myself um, but kids find ways to, to find things on the internet and I feel like every single time we hear about these shooters and they're either on 4chan or they're involved in these online communities that essentially um, validate their grievances um, or whatever, you know, oddity they're involved in and essentially embolden them and desensitize them to committing an act. And so parents really need to stay on top of their kids, social media, their Internet search history and know what they're looking at online. To that point, it's Dr. Katie Kuhlman. Go to drkuhlman.com and go check out everything she does. Clinical psychologist, great to have you on the show again. To that point, his digital footprint was, and there was a specific event, where he reached out to somebody who he didn't know. And this woman didn't know him. And it was on Instagram, I think, through direct message. It was on some service. I think Instagram, I could be wrong. And she has now spoken out. I didn't know this guy, but he was saying things like, in real life, IRL, um, elementary school kids should be very afraid of me. I'm going to go do this thing. You'll know me. You'll see that I'm doing this. So it's not her fault, obviously. It's his fault. But if you receive something like that, what's the right action to take? Because clearly he did what he said he was going to do. And, and I guess maybe first, even before, what action should you take? Was this an obvious cry for him to have somebody stop him before he did it? 
No. Um, so what we call this is we call it leakage. And essentially, when a person, right before a person wants to engage uh, in, a, in an attack like this, it's not that they want to be stopped. It's that they are, they're, they're so excited about what they're about to do that they can barely contain themselves. They have, and it's, and part of it's also for notoriety. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredibly creepy. Um, but we see this time and time again, in nearly every shooting is that there's a broadcast of some kind and it's not that they want to be stopped. It's that, um, they just, they're so obsessed and they, they, really like are so excited inside about this, you know, the right thing to do really in those moments is to report it. And I think that, you know, as civilians, we, we question ourselves a lot of the time. Is this, is this something that's actually reportable? Is anything going to be done about this? Uh, well, this isn't actually a crime. So are, are, is law enforcement going to be able to do anything about this? Right. And the thing is, is that even if they can't do anything, you're still creating a trail. And the problem is time and time again, is that there's so many different uh, silos of information that we learn about after the fact. And if only all of these dots were connected before, right. something could have been done. So this girl, no, it's not her fault. And and I imagine she feels horrible right now. And, and I wish I could just like tell her that she did nothing wrong. Right. Um, but but that, that could have been information that law enforcement had. And when they combined that with maybe other things that they learned from his classmates or his teachers – maybe that makes the threat real and they can act upon it. And maybe you make an anonymous tip and you don't have to feel the guilt of maybe I'm reporting somebody that did something wrong. And of course, Monday morning quarterbacking, I get it. But I mean, th- this isn't something that is just going to stop happening unless we get really proactive and say, well, wait a second, maybe somebody should look into a guy who says elementary school kids are going to be very upset in real life. Um, and again, it's not her fault. I get that. But we need to learn from this. We need to report things. See something, say something was not that long ago after 9-11. Maybe we we should go back to that. It's Dr. Katie Coleman. If you're talking to the parents of a little boy or little girl who two days later would have been on summer break, they're now gone and they're planning their funeral. What do you say to somebody who's dealing with that kind of that kind of mourning and that, that sort of misery? I would say that there's absolutely nothing I can say right now that will make you feel any better about this. Um, that and that's the honest truth, right? Yeah. That there's there's nothing that I could ever say that anybody could ever say to bring that child back. Um, to make them feel okay about what happened. I mean, this was so, this was so senseless that so there's nothing that you can say that would help any parent make sense of what happened. Um, what I would be doing is, you know, if you know somebody who's been through something like this, is um, this person's in crisis. They've ex- experienced such unthinkable loss and are going through such grief and trauma and anger is just be their out- outward brain. Um, take care of them. Make sure that they're fed. Make sure that they have a place to sleep you know, make sure, you know, call their boss for them so that they don't have to go into work. Just do, take care of all of those little tasks so that they can truly focus on just managing their own emotions. Um, and that's really what we should be doing in, in the, the immediate days following a tragedy like this to take care of. It's, it's such great advice. Victims. You take care of their needs. Uh, here's, here's some food. Uh, do you have a place to sleep? Here's some drink. You know, what else can I do for you? Can I run some errands for you? I think that's very, very good advice because you're right. We don't know what to say because you're, you're an expert at this. You don't even know what to say. So what you say is, what can I do for you? I mean, that's what I'm hearing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and maybe they don't even know what they need. So giving them suggestions or even telling them, I'm going to bring you dinner Thursday night. Makes you're sense. taken care of. I got you. Yeah. So you deal with first responders a lot. And again, it's Dr. Catherine Kuhlman. I get to call her Katie. I feel very privileged. Uh, go to drkuhlman.com. Always appreciate your calming sense of, uh, of knowing what to, what to do in situations like this. And so far, it's been out of sight. 
What do you say to the first responders? Now, uh, what we understand is this guy got in through a, a door that should have been locked where the teachers park at the school. He was able to gain access, start killing people. Law enforcement officers weren't far away. They got there quickly and they barricaded, they cornered this guy in one of these classrooms and it ended up being a, uh, I believe they, they called him Bortac. It was a, a Border Patrol tactical guy who also works with the Sheriff's Department of Uvalde County who ended up killing this guy and stopping the threat. There were 600 kids in that school. So there could have been much worse, although it was horrific as it was. What do you say to somebody who's just dealt with that? He knows he's at the scene where you've got a bunch of, of poor little babies that are dead inside, a couple of teachers that are dead inside, but he was able to stop the attack. Is there any sense of guilt you have to deal with law enforcement? Why wasn't I here sooner? Is there a sense of you did the right thing to save the community? What do you say to somebody in that situation? Well, I mean, almost always there's there's a little sense of guilt because there's so many people that died. And so, you're, of course, they, they often will wonder, you know, what would have happened if I got here sooner? Um, what if I could have stopped him from going through that door? Right. Um, the, the the number of emotions that officers experience following these incidents, it, it's completely all over the board. And um, I've, I have the unfortunate honor of, of working with officers following um, a couple of, of mass shootings and school shootings. And um, the stories are all over the place. And, you know, what I think that if one of the most difficult things is for officers, and, and probably the public doesn't realize this, is, you know, when officers first enter a school that's that, where there's a mass shooter or an active shooter, um, their, their goal is to neutralize the threat. And they don't always know exactly how many shooters there are. And so right. a lot of times they're going into the building and they may have to step over and ignore bodies that are bleeding, people that are crying for help, because they have to take care of the threat first. And that is one of the hardest things for officers is because, right, morally, there's there's a pull to save somebody, especially a child. Um, but then knowing that the job is to deal with the shooter first before you, you deal with any of the victims. I was going to ask um, you that, Katie. Is, is it particularly harder that there are children that we're dealing with here. It's not easy to see a murdered anybody. I understand that. But you're talking about people five to 10 years old who who just are there. And I mean, do, how do you come to terms with that as a law enforcement officer? As you said, you've got a job to do to stop the, to, the, the, the murder that's happening, to stop the shooting, to neutralize the threat. But how do you not stop and help the six-year-old that's suffering? I, how do you even do that? Well, it, it becomes this like moral injury for them because it's like they they know in their heart that that would be the right thing to do but then their brain says but this is the job and so that conflict creates a lot of turmoil in the first place but the fact that it's kids i mean it makes it immensely more difficult for officers um and they don't even have to have kids or even like kids but but you know when you're dealing with adults as an officer you kind of you can tell yourself you know they put themselves in the situation they chose to use drugs they chose to break into a building or rob a bank or whatever it is but with kids, there's just this innate innocence where they're, they're still a blank slate. There's still so much for them to learn, and they have so much of their life ahead of them that it, it feels like such a, just a, a crazy amount of loss. Yeah. Um, and that makes it much more difficult to handle because then you're like, well, what could I have done differently? What could I have done to save them? And, you know, before the show, you and I were talking, you know, Uvalde is a town of about 15,000 people. Right. That's it. Um, and, and so you have to also acknowledge that more likely than not, there's probably kids in that school of officers. And so then to be an officer responding to that school, you know, either initially or, you know, as backup as things unfolded, 
how are you supposed to do your job wondering if your kid is inside their debt? I, I can't even imagine. No, it's a very good point. In fact, one of the sheriffs that responded did lose a child in that shooting yesterday, and it's disgusting. Um, you know, to, to deal with something like that, I can't even imagine. I, I can't take my hat off enough to those who responded, neutralized this guy, and saved more lives. It's Dr. Catherine Kuhlman. I appreciate you taking the time. One, one last quick question, maybe 30 seconds on this. And Katie, if you don't feel comfortable answering this, it's more political, I understand. But on the day after this horrible shooting happened, you've got President Biden signing some executive order that's calling out police and police violence. And you've got Barack Obama, the former president, tweeting about George Floyd dying under the knee of a police officer. I mean, it, it, it feels inappropriate to me, but then again, I'm a conservative guy. Is there anything to that? Any comment that you can make knowing that you work with first responders? Or would you rather not? I'm fine with that if you don't want to. Oh, I'll, I'll make a comment. Sure. I, you and I are on the same page. I think it's such a slap in the face to responders. You know, they they have worked so hard. Um, they they deal with such unthinkable trauma day in and day out. Um, they have across the country have been responding to this mass violence. There's an uptick in ambushes against police officers, and to throw them under the bus like this, you know, and and, and attack them after something like this, it's just it's cold hearted and it's insensitive. Yeah. That's exactly right. I mean, when I saw what Barack Obama said, he said, yeah, we all mourn with um, uh, with uh, Uvalde. Let's talk about George Floyd. It was very strange, his whole Twitter thread. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. And I appreciate you being honest sure. with us on that. 19 kids and two adults. Yes. I, I don't even know how that compares. It doesn't. To be honest, and and he could Biden could have put off signing this thing for a bit just to show a little bit of respect. It's Dr. Catherine Kuhlman. Go to drkuhlman.com. Check her out on all the television shows she's showing up on, doing very well with that. And thank you for being a calming voice after such a miserable thing. Thank you, Katie. Appreciate you. Of course. Anytime, Joe. Okay. We're back after this. Stay right here. This is The Joe Pegg Show. Great to have you. Thanks a lot for stopping by. We appreciate Dr. Coleman. It's drkuhlman.com. Go to her website. Uh, on with Bongino this coming weekend. She's on uh, with Jesse Waters all the time, on Newsmax all the time as well. So make sure you check out whatever she does. A great calming voice in the in the face of violence in our, in our society. And the answers really did hit home with me because how do you talk to a family? How do you help them out through this? How do you recover from this? Can we identify these bad people as they're coming along? Great information from Dr. Kuhlman. All right, next hour, we're going to have Victor Avila. We had much of that interview when I was in for Sean earlier. We'll give you the entire interview next hour. A lot of your phone calls as well. Keep it on the Joe Pag Show. This is the Joe Pag Show.